You know why I'm so passionate about Music to Code By? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than 4 bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only 3 bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1328, with guests Astra de Laval and Andreas Persson. Recorded Thursday, June 30th, 2016. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. The uh, summer is in full swing, and July 28th here, I believe, is when this comes out. Richard Campbell, are you in your basement yet? No. Well, a little time shifting going on, so I hope by the time this show comes out of my basement, but at this particular moment, still up on the landing, still using the Chaotica eyeball to control noise, and getting ready to abandon all hope. <laughs> Well, actually, this is almost a month after we recorded, right? Yeah, three weeks, something like that. So, you might actually be there. I would hope. Maybe I'm much happier. I'm Maybe. not really that unhappy. Things are good. My band has already played at uh, Sailfest, so... Yeah, and I'm sure you tore it up. I'm sure we tore it up, too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much fun. And I'm about to fly to Oslo to head off from my polar expedition. Are you and Jakob going to take a motorcycle across Norway? No, no. This is a different... This is V and uh, Kim Tripp and Paul Randall and a bunch of other troublemakers on an expedition ship to the far polar north. We're going uh, to look at the polar bears and the walruses and take pictures. Oh, you're crazy. But I want to see a lot of pictures. All right. Let's get rolling with Better Know a Framework. Awesome. <laughs> Nice little time-shifting nut job right there. <laughs> yeah. Talk yeah. about what we're doing now and what we're supposedly doing when this is published. It's like, okay, everybody's confused. Yeah, we're none the least of which is us. Okay. What do you got, buddy? What I got is a, I don't know if it's new, but it's certainly new to me. It's a Linux operating system with a complete community around it, and it's Fedora. Oh, yeah. No, this is one of the originals, man. Yeah. As you know, I'm not a Linux person, so I went looking for Linux operating system that has good uh, community around it. And if you don't know about Fedora, it's about time you learn. Yeah, these are great guys. So go to getfedora.org. There's a workstation version, a server version, and a cloud version. And uh, here's the basic description. It's a Linux-based operating system that provides users with access to the latest free and open source software in a stable, secure, and easy to manage form. Fedora is the largest of many free software creations of the Fedora project. Because of its predominance, the word Fedora 
is often used interchangeably to mean both the Fedora project and the Fedora operating system. So the workstation, as you might think, is great for laptops and desktop computers and tools for developers and all that stuff. The server is a flexible, powerful OS that has all the data center technologies and cloud is sort of a stripped down minimal image for use in public and private cloud environments and bare essentials, light on resources, but enough to get stuff running that you need running. And it's uh, pretty cool. It looks great. Yeah. And looks like it's been tested on Azure too. So the cloud edition is well suited to Azure. Yep. Fantastic. So getfedora.org. Clearly you've been up to some weird things that you're worrying about a Linux uh, workstation client. No, no, not me. I don't run a Linux workstation client, but I know people that do. And um, we're all about a kinder, gentler, more involving and all encompassing .NET now. So we uh, have probably more Linux listeners than we ever thought we would. Well, and I remember that great show we did with Mark Rendell, who's just talking about actually building .NET apps from a Linux workstation. It's not simple from a Windows person point of view, but I think from a Linux person point of view, it's, it's pretty straight up. Well, cool, man. Yeah, that's what I got. So who's talking to us, man? Grabbed a comment off of show 1301, the one we recorded back in Belgium at Techorama with Julie Lerman. And we talked about changing developers' minds, which I really enjoyed Julie talking about her leadership role with organizations and helping developers get to the right place. You usually hear from her as the entity framework lady. This was really cool. And David Lehman agrees with me. He says this was a wonderful show. I do data modeling all the time, but since I am practically a solo practitioner, I have no feedback on how well I am doing this. I would love to just follow Julie around and watch, listen, and learn at her feet. And I think that would probably embarrass her, David, but uh, <laughs> you're right. You'd learn a lot. She is quite amazing. Thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there, we read it on the show we'll send you a mug and definitely follow us on twitter i'm at carl franklin he's at rich campbell and send us a tweet boom <laughs> just gonna leave it you're just gonna i was waiting i was waiting it was like we put him on our feet i don't know what were you gonna say something nothing just left me dead left air me there dead air actually <laughs> All right, let me introduce our esteemed guest today, Astra Delaval, and she works as an IT consultant at NetLight Consulting, where she has experience from a variety of industries and clients. Her main focus so far has been within .NET development, where she prefers to be involved in the entire stack. While studying applied physics and electrical engineering, she was unwillingly forced to take a few mandatory programming courses, which she eventually found out was really fun. Ostrid has been one of the driving forces in building the CodePub network with the purpose to increase the number of women working with IT, as well as spreading the initiative across Sweden. Also with us today is Andreas Persson. He works as an international recruiter and talent manager at NetLight Consulting. During his five years at NetLight, he's been involved in all aspects of the talent management lifecycle with emphasis on recruitment, employer branding, and building successful recruiting functions across the offices in Europe. Prior to his current position at NetLight, he gained valuable experience as a former EMEA recruiter at Google and Nordic Customer Service Manager at LinkedIn. The university years were spent studying human resources and jazz music, a perfect fusion of business, psychology, and musical harmony. You're speaking my language here, Andreas. These are all aspects that make up a perfect blend for him at NetLight and life in general. Welcome, Astrid. Welcome, Andreas. Hi. Thank you. Fantastic. So tell us just about the CodePub. What's that all about? It started about three years ago in Stockholm. 
we were looking around for female networks and uh, meetups for women that we wanted to collaborate with and support in any way. It was surprisingly enough, I mean, there were so few back then, three years ago. We ended up starting one instead. So the Code Pub is a meetup for women within IT, and it's supposed to be a platform where you can be inspired and at the same time become a better developer. So it's open for all women. So it doesn't matter if you are a total beginner and haven't written a line of code yet, or if you are an experienced developer, uh, everyone can come. And it makes it really fun, actually, because there's always a big mix of women coming, showing up. It started in Stockholm and then you opened code pubs in Oslo and Munich and where else? Yeah, so it went pretty well here in Stockholm. It expanded quite quickly, actually. We started meetups in Oslo, Munich, Helsinki and Hamburg as well. And I think we are about 1,800 women now globally, and about a 1,000 of those are in Stockholm. What we do at our meetups is basically coding. So we have usually prepared some kind of case where you can... Uh, try out a new technique, a new language or a framework. And we also try to invite women, female role models that we think can uh, inspire. And it's also a big part of the Code Pub, I think, to highlight female role models within the industry because you don't see them that often in media and such. So I think it's important to highlight female role models and also provide a network where you and a safe space where you're not a minority. Do you see it reaching beyond Europe? Is this something that you would like some of our listeners perhaps to contact you about expanding? Yeah, totally. Uh, one and a half years ago, we were asked by other women in other parts of Sweden if we could start hosting meetups in their cities as well. And of course, we wanted to, but it's hard with a geographical distance. And we didn't feel like we could do it ourselves. And we are not really big on micromanaging others in other cities. So what we did was that we started another network called the Code Hub. So it's hub instead of pub, which basically is other women that are hosting meetups. But we help them in the beginning, we support them, and we share our knowledge and everything we have learned so far. But it's other women that are hosting the meetups because we think it will be better if it's run locally. So if anyone wants to start a code hub, of course, they can contact us and we will help. We also have collaborated with a lot of other companies, mostly here in Stockholm, because we think it's important to get a greater impact on the industry inspire other companies to work with this as well, and also share experiences between companies. So far, we have collaborated with a lot, for example, Spotify, King, who are the creators of Candy Crush, Mojang, the creators of Minecraft, and SVT, the public Swedish television station, to name a few. And it's really fun if we can host meetups at other companies as well. And Andreas, you on the recruiting side, how does recruiting play into this? Do you guys teach people and then find jobs for them? Or is that, am I misreading that process? I can also talk about this one, actually, because people mistake the Code Pub for a recruitment event, but it's not a recruitment event. We don't talk about NetLite at all. And we don't in any way, you know, promote us towards the women. And I think that's super important and why we have been so successful. But 
because people don't want to go and uh, spend an evening at the company listening for one hour presentation about the company. I have to ask Andreas then, because your bio says you're a recruiter. So if that's not what you do at these meetups, what's your role in this thing? What NetLight does is like it goes far beyond the code pub. In general, we care a lot for the topic of gender equality. And then there are a lot of different initiatives, which springs for this interest and this caring for gender equality. The Code Pub was an initiative which were created by some employees at NetLight and then this turned out to be a huge success. So besides that, we are doing it a lot of different kind of initiatives and I've been a part of yeah, engaging in several different initiatives. But as Rede points out, it's very important that the Code Pub is not something that is like a recruitment event, but it's really, really to inspire women in the industry and inspire women to the industry. So your events, do you teach and do presentations with people from NetLight or do you bring in outside speakers or what does a meetup typically look like? Are there speakers? Yeah, there are speakers. And we try, we invite outside side developers to hold the case and do the inspirational talks. So it's both, basically. So of course, we want to highlight female role models within the industry. We always invite other women, women that are not in our company as well. And they, of course, talk about their projects. So I'm not clear on what the difference code hub and a code pub are. The code pub are run by NetLight employees. The code hub it can be basically anyone. Cool. So it basically volunteers taking on to build their own version of the event. Yeah, exactly. So anyone can do it. But we want to help them in the beginning. We have done this for three years. And if they want to know, like, how did you start or how can I do this in my town? They can always contact us and we will help them. So it's more us uh, supporting them. But we are not in charge of running the meetups, per se. Right now, there are a few. We have uh, two more in Sweden. So one in Gothenburg and one in Linköping. And one of them is actually run by students at the university that want to meet. So they started a meetup there. And uh, what is the content level like? Do you do a combination of sort of intro talks, motivational talks, technical talks? Doesn't seem like there would be uh, sort of any restriction on that. But what kinds of topics do you typically talk about? For example, first, we usually have an inspirational part of the evening. For example, we invite a woman in Stockholm that has a startup and she can tell us about her journey, how she did it, her ups and downs or yeah, stuff like that to inspire more women to create a startup and that whole process. But we also have, because we think it's important to also do hands-on coding. You can't just talk about coding. You have to try it yourself, especially if you are a total beginner. So we always have some kind of case. And uh, this is often the tricky part because we try to make it available for everyone. So it shouldn't matter if you are a total beginner. You can do the case as well. Or if you are a professional developer, you can do it too. So 
we try to create cases that everyone can be a part of. So Richard and I have sort of been following the women in technology thread all throughout the life of this show. And some themes come up over and over again. One of them, which is fascinating to me, a psychological theme that happens is that in the West anyway, many women programmer beginners, unlike men, tend to think that if they can't present the final solution, then their work in progress, they don't want to show that. I was just listening to a show, I think it was on NPR, where somebody was teaching women programming, new programmers, right? And went over to this woman after 30 minutes of time where she was supposed to be putting in and writing some code. And there was just a blank screen. And she said, I don't know what to write. And the teacher wondered if this person was just sitting at a blank screen until pressing undo several times revealed this workflow where she had written all this code and tried some things and then it didn't work correctly or whatever. And instead of going through the process of debugging and fixing the bugs and the hard stuff, just sort of gave up and said, I don't know what to write. Based on perceptions and psychology that perhaps is different for women than for men. Am I off base there? Can you speak to that? No, I think it can be like that. First of all, I think as a woman at Ordinary Meetup, you are always a minority. So you are always in the spotlight, which I think make it easier, make it harder for you to fail. And I think if you fail, one, when you are in this spotlight, it feels tough, I think. I also think that there are a lot of stereotypical images within the IT industry, both about who's a programmer. People usually think the guy in a hoodie sitting in their basement coding. But I also think that there are a lot of unconscious biases against women within IT and tech. I think that women often are seen as less technical. For example, when I say that I'm a consultant at Netlight, I'm usually first asked if I'm a project manager, if I'm a UX designer. And if people hear that I'm a developer, they usually respond like, oh, so you mostly do front end or really? And I think stuff like this, it affects you because if you are told that you are less technical, I think you will act like you are less technical. So this in combination, being a minority in the spotlight and also living with these unconscious biases makes it harder for you as a woman. And I think that's the important part and what we have been trying to do with the CodePub that is just women that are there coding. It's easier for people to fail. Everyone codes at our meetups. It doesn't matter. The total beginners also do coding. And I think it's important if someone is a beginner that you can't leave them an empty page in the beginning. I think you should build the basics. For example, if you are going to do a website, you should do the basic HTML tags. Yeah, fair point. It's kind of strange, and maybe Richard can speak to this too, but our experience of women in technology has been really, really positive because we know people like Kate Gregory, Michelle LaRue Bustamante, Julie Lerman, Rachel Appel, Rachel Hawley. Like these are some of the people that we know that are friends of ours who are brilliant people. We sort of have an opposite bias maybe. I don't know, Richard, you could speak to that. The other thing you see, you think about how often have we found Michelle, rather than going out to the bar with us in the evening during a conference, working on her session too. There does seem to be a tendency almost to be too diligent to work so hard to get the content 
just perfect and fuss and fuss and fuss. I can't tell you how many times I've said, it's good enough. You need to stop. Right? Like it's People are only going to learn so much in an hour and 15 minutes. It's okay. Yeah, and I think it's pretty usual that you overdo it or you need to prove yourself, go the extra mile all the time to show off that, I mean, I am technical. I can do this. I think men may just be more comfortable faking it. That's all. Yeah. Because we don't know what we're doing either. I see this tendency in the women that I work with in the conference biz to actually know what they're doing. I'm like, that's crazy talk. You're never going to really know what you're doing. It's okay. Just fake it diligently. Yeah. And I think it's the same. You know, women, when they are applying for a job, they usually don't apply unless they fulfill all the criteria. And men usually, if they, you know, fulfill two, three of them, they can still apply for the job. It was one of the first interviews we ever did on this subject area. It was exactly the conversation had was around this psychological study that showed unless they were 80 or 90% covering of all the requirements, a woman wouldn't apply. And that 30%, the men would apply. It also spoke to me as an employer to write my job requirements differently. These days, I don't believe in writing out all the specific skills I want anymore. I'm more interested in someone who's willing to learn. Yep, me too. There's nothing else that seems to matter anymore. Yeah, it's the same way with music. Andreas, I like the fact that you study jazz music. I have a 10-piece band with a horn section, and it's kind of disheartening when somebody who can play won't learn the charts and won't practice the charts. And I've actually let people go because they're great, but they won't learn. And I would rather have someone who doesn't have the better chops, but who's willing to put in the time and get there. Actually, it was just a week ago, I was interviewing for a leadership magazine in Sweden regarding hire for attitude, train for skill. And that's like really a lot about how we conversate. Yeah. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Uh, must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to don my fedora and head down to the Code Pub to watch the band because it's good enough. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> good enough. Yeah, it's actually time to give away a D Experience subscription from Developer Express and give it away to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with Dev Express UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, Dev Express Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Randolph Cabral. Congratulations, Randolph. Congratulations. Golf clap for you, sir. Absolutely. And Randall just won the D-Experience subscription from Developer Express. That's a big pile of awesome from them. If you don't know what we just did, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guests, we'll start with you, Astrid. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Well, I thought about this for a while, but then I ended up choosing the HoloLens Development Edition. Yeah, ah, yes. 
<laughs> Easy one. Yeah, I haven't tried a HoloLens yet, and I want to. And I think the development edition would be really fun, so I can try to build my own holographic app as well. I put it on my 14-year-old daughter the other night, and she played Robo Raid in my living room, and she was blown away. She was like, this is so intense. I almost took video of her moving around and stuff, but it was that would have been cruel. Because it kind of looks goofy. It will be interesting to see where it will end up, this technology. Of course, I want one so I can try it out. It occurred to me a while ago that the technology has to be compelling enough that you don't care that you look like a nut. <laughs> you know? And I realized back in the days when the iPhone was brand new, the idea that you would rock around with your phone in your hand was nutty too. And nobody cared because it was so compelling. I think the visor concept, the HoloLens concept, goes over that threshold. Once it's in consumer range, once it has its iPhone moment, it will just use it and it'll become acceptable. Yep, yeah. quite possibly. All right, what about you, Andreas? What would you do with $5,000 technology-wise? I think it's a good question. I like the thoughts of it. I would buy a lot of digital recording stuff for my future music studio. Ah. Creating a lot of music, yes. <laughs> awesome. And you can burn through five grand, no problem on, on no uh, recording No problem. It's super yeah. easy. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> super easy. <laughs> do you already have a PC you would use or do you need to buy a new PC as well or Mac? I actually would need a new PC as well. That's on my list. <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend the Presonus hardware for recording and editing as well. The uh, Prisana Studio One is just the state of the art as far as I'm concerned. Cool. It's already on my list now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> as we speak. Awesome. All right. I'd like to jump back into this with a question for both of you, which is, it's always been my impression as somebody coming out of Canada that the Scandinavian countries, the Finland, Denmark, Sweden, and Norway, are more progressive in sort of equality towards women than many other places. Am I mistaken? That is true. We are progressive and we have had, as an example, I mean, with the equal uh, rights for voting we've had since beginning of the 20th century. And uh, it is definitely progressive, but there is like always a lot of things to do. I mean, uh, concerning the technology industry, uh, there are huge differences. If we take a look at like more really techy competence, taking the example of Sweden and the number one tech university, like between eight to 12% women graduates every year from the tech the computer science program, 8 to 12%. So that's a huge issue still. But from a cultural perspective, I mean, it's generally people aren't necessarily pushed out of being in that business. I mean, what do you account for only 10% female graduates in ComSci? I think there's a lot of legacy in this question. I mean, it's uh, been for years and years that men are engineers and, and women are more towards softer topics such as like nursing and there are a lot of differences in society still. But it's also interesting to see, I mean, just as a uh, comparison, I talked to a, a woman from Albania weeks ago and, uh, and she's a programmer as well. And she was curious to know why there are so few women in tech in Sweden because she says like in Albania, women are most populated within technology because men should do things that are physically heavy kind of <laughs> occupations while women are like perfect for uh, for programming which doesn't require uh, physical strength quite interesting perspective after dating my second wife for 
I don't know, a few months, who I've been married to now for six years, I came to the conclusion that she had a programmer brain. And she said, it's really funny that when I was in high school and I took a aptitude test, my counselor said, have you ever considered programming? <laughs> She's got a very analytical brain. And uh, to this day, I think she'd be a great programmer, but she was never all that interested and didn't go into it, of course. But it is interesting, though, that it doesn't matter what gender you are. If your brain is uh, either suited for it or it isn't. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's fun because when I was 18 years old and I was about to choose where to study, computer science, it didn't even cross my mind. I didn't even see it as something I could do. It's not that I actively said no to it. It's more that it didn't even cross my mind, which is very weird. And it was the same with all my friends. I mean, it's seen as a very male occupation. And I think that's why that we need to change that and make more women, highlight more female role models so more women can relate to the computer science programs. And so it strikes me at CodePub, you are trying to grow new role models. Yeah, exactly. I think that's very important. And also to women that are have started studying computer science courses so that they get inspired to keep on going because there are a lot of women <laughs> that are dropping out of the computer science programs and there are a lot of women that are leaving the industry today. So I think it's important to highlight female role models and inspire people to keep on going. I think that's true in just about every profession in uh, certainly was in mine. I don't think I would have gotten as deep into programming if it weren't for the mentors that I had. Uh, mentorship in general is just such a necessary thing. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, when you are studying, there are so few female professors and uh, lecturers. And I think uh, that also is weird. We need to change that. I think we should have more, you know, women that are professors within computer science. So what do you think the biggest challenge is for women getting into technology? And in particular, the women that you see in code pubs and code hubs, what do you think some of the big challenges are? I mean, we've highlighted a few of them here, but um, the women that come to code pubs and code hubs, and maybe drop out. What are some of the reasons that you see for this? I think that the biggest thing is that women don't feel like they belong, I think. Because if you are in a male-dominated industry, you have so few people you can relate to. And usually, maybe the culture isn't something that suits you. And I think it can be very exhausting to be in such an environment where you don't feel like you belong. And it takes a lot more energy to sort of make your own culture, doesn't it? Definitely. That's what I think with the women I have been talking to, the not belonging part. Astrid, if you have much success reaching out to women who've just never considered programming before, I got to think that anybody who shows up at a code pub event has already kind of crossed a threshold saying, I should look at this. Yeah, but there's also a few that just gets dragged along with their friend and haven't, <laughs> you know, coded at all. And I met one mom actually at the meetup. She couldn't code herself, but she just wanted to go to different meetups to see what coding was about so she can tell this, talk about coding to her kids. And I thought that was so cool, actually. 
And did you get her to code? Yeah, she coded a bit. Fantastic. I'd like to hear some more inspirational stories because so often we focus on what the issues are and what the problems are. But can you tell us some of the positive inspirational things that have come out of your experiences here? I can actually tell one because as I uh, told before, the Code Pub is like one core initiative, but we've also generally tried to engage in different ways, like with the universities, with the industry in general. And I've several times times met people actually that has been engaging in one of the initiatives and especially the code pub which are actually women that told me that they changed their studies to actually study computer science after having joined the code pub and or one of the other initiatives so those things are for me are really powerful because really concrete that it does make a difference yeah and i will say something similar actually there were two women that wrote a thesis about the code pub and they did a study you know they asked our members anonymously how they have developed and what they have learned during the code pubs and most women had raised their technical confidence within IT. And I think that made me really happy because then you have succeeded, I think. Yeah, I almost wonder if you could put a tone. As soon as you write some code and people can see it and act on it and be excited about it, that can't help but make you feel better about all this. Yeah, I think so too. If you actually try to code something and you succeed, as you say, I think that will make you more interested. I mean, to do it yourself at home and continue doing it. Yeah, I think it's really important. So that's why I think it's important to do hands-on coding and not just talk about coding. And do you find that the more experienced attendees are helping others? I could see there's an opportunity there for everyone to really get some reinforcement on their skills. Yeah, uh, definitely. There's always some that are really good at it and uh, they try to help each other out. Yeah, and we also try to have a few consultants there so you can always... um, help out if someone is having it hard in the beginning. But you talk about building confidence. It's got to be something incredibly powerful if you're an experienced developer, but you run in a crowd of really talented developers, or let's say just more assertive developers, that you get into an environment where you're the expert and everyone is able to get help from you. Just to remind yourself, you know some things. My household is all women, my wife, my daughters, and so forth. And none of them are particularly interested in technology, but they're actually quite competent at it. I can say the same. Any question that their friends have about a computer, they can answer it. It's just that they're used to hanging around a house with me and my friends in it, where this is all we do all day. So they don't think they necessarily know anything, when in reality, they know a lot. Yeah, it's all relative. (laughs) I also wonder, there's a piece here that struck me that presenting this is just an opportunity to learn what coding is. Because, I mean, you see it in the news and so forth now, but folks that have never been exposed to it, just to see it from scratch, sort of the beginning concepts of this is what programming is about and anybody can do it. And sometimes you have an aptitude. Sometimes it just pops out. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's good when people that they are not working as a programmer, but they come anyway. And I think that's really good because if one person tries it out for the first time, thinks it's fun, she will tell her friends about it. And that's how it spreads, removes all these stereotypical images about who's a coder. And I think that's important too, that you don't have to be a developer to code. Anyone can do it. So what's next? We talked about expanding beyond Europe, uh, and you do want to hear from our listeners who want to start their own code hubs. What's next for you guys? What's in the works? There is a lot of stuff in the works. So like besides expanding the code pub and 
also inspiring for the Code Hub. There are, as I mentioned, a lot of other initiatives. An important one is TechEc. TechEc is an initiative which was created as a collaboration between organizations in the IT industry. It's an initiative which we don't want to own ourselves, but it should really be a collaboration which is mutually run by all member organizations. And it's for free to join in. But what you agree on when joining in to TechEc is that we together want to inspire the industry, together want to both like attract more women to the industry, as well as also further educating the industry and all the member organization as a whole. This is an initiative which we also started in Sweden, which is now also potentially expanding in Europe as well. And uh, there are members such as like in Stockholm or in Sweden, there are actually now around 100 member organizations such as Spotify and Kane and Dice who makes Battlefield. Uh, there are a lot of those really techy companies that together want to make a change and uh, share knowledge between organizations. Okay, well, I think that's a show. Thank you guys for talking to us. And Astrid, Andreas, I wish you great success in the future. This is a wonderful thing you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having a lot. us. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.